Welcome to Jenny, the Jennifer Magazine podcast, where we have the conversations we can't have in written form. The deep, meaningful conversations you wish you were having more of. You know the kind I'm talking about. I'm your host, Jen Cooper. I'm the founder of Jennifer, where we're creating new media for middle age. It's not a place we're stuck or at the end of anything. All those stories we grew up with. No, we see it for the opportunity it is and up-leveling. We're awakened. Okay, today my guest is writer, poet, and champion of your storytelling, Holly Holt. Holly is also one of our magazine's contributor. In fact, she wrote one of our most popular pieces, The Wilding of Midlife. It's amazing. I'm going to share a bit of it in a few minutes, but you can also catch it on our site, jennifermag.com. Holly also holds writing circles that use movement and offer a safe space for you to share what's inside you, even if you never publish it. And I think that's really important. You don't have to publish anything, but telling your story, there is real power in that. So in this conversation, Holly and I celebrate the softening that happens with aging. I know you wouldn't think that we would celebrate softness, but we are. We also talk about what she learned after interviewing 100 women in periods of transition, especially midlife, and what can help us move our stories out of our bodies and into the world so that we can make space to let new stories in. Oh, it's so good. It's all so good. Let's dive in. What are you drinking? Warm water. That's your thing, isn't it? Well, it isn't. I mean, I have tea or coffee in the morning. I wasn't for a long time, but now I'm like into it again, caffeine. And then I sometimes will have herbal tea. I just happen to, it's easier. (laughs) I'm like, I need some water and I don't want it to be cold. It's cold outside. And it's better for your body if it's room temperature or warmer. Really? Yes. Cold water, ice water is not good for the digestion. Oh. In the summertime, I drink cold water though. Huh. I guess because your body has to heat up. Yeah. Well, it also depends on your, it's like an Ayurvedic thing. So if you're. Oh, right. Right. What's your, what's your body? Pitta something, something. I don't remember them. Yeah. I'm Vata primarily, but I have more Pitta and Kapha in me now than I did when I was younger. I don't really know them. I just, somebody once introduced me to it and I was like, oh, interesting. And then it just, I never picked it back up. Right. Well, it's part of my training. (laughs) That's, that is true. So what are the different ones? Just out of curiosity. Vata, like more anxious, dry, dry skin, dryness, and like dry digestion, sometimes constipation, that kind of thing. Pitta is fiery. So running towards hot, the Vata runs towards cold generally. Pitta also is like maybe headaches and more like heartburn kind of digestive issues. And then Pitta is earth and more sort of grounded. They actually want you to be more Pitta which is interesting so that the the natural like oils and the hair and the skin are good and the digestion is sluggish and there might be mucus. So there's the really graphic, you know, (laughs) descriptions of each one. Well, that was helpful though, because I'm like, "Mm, which one do I lean? And it's interesting because you said you leaned one when you were younger and now you're leaning others now. Yeah. I mean, I was very, very Vata. I was very thin, dry, and like you know, a raw nerve and I've done all this work. So I've kind of gotten a little more and well, midlife, you know, I'm hot. Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about midlife because you wrote one of our most popular articles, the wildling of midlife rage, gaslighting and following your path of desire. Uh, So I think we should just dive right in. So you started it off by saying 
every woman I know would have been burned as a witch 300 years ago. Why? Because these women in midlife have become powerful. They are at home within themselves. They trust their gut instincts and intuition, and they follow their path of desires. Scary, right? But this next part is, I'm so glad that you added this. You continued, this isn't true for every woman over 40. As my friend Shannon said, quote, I don't think just aging tunes you into your intuition. Growing old doesn't mean growing up. We've known both, right? We've all known the older woman who is still completely wrapped up in all the same stuff she was when she was 22 years old, you know, or 16. It's like, oh, do I look nice? And and, and kind of critical, usually of other people. So that's like the the burning down of midlife. It was like they just probably anesthetized themselves against it, probably, instead of dealing with it and just facing it. It's, I think it's if you face what's happening and you look at it, it can be so such an amazing transformation because you start to shed old identities and reclaim the actual true essence of who you are, but it's uncomfortable. That's that's the thing. I mean, it's uncomfortable. It's physically uncomfortable to be going through perimenopause for a lot of women. Well, right? me, I'm I'm right now. I'm already like, yeah, no, it's definitely uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm right in the middle of it. Right. There's all these transitions, emotional transitions, a lot of times spiritual transitions for people going through mental health healing if if they choose to do that. And the physical changes are just ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm not saying I'm on the other side of it, but I'm in menopause now. So the, it's different. You know, I wrote just today, right now, I'm just kind of being a little bit more comfortable in, in the slowness of, of my life because there were so many years of, I said, flashlights and lightning, you know, I was shining the light on everything. And, but also there was, there was lightning strikes happening to me at the same time. And I think that the more women I talk to in midlife, the more they say, uh-huh, yes, exactly. But it, it's like, there's a fire, right? There's the big fire in midlife. And then the ashes start to kind of settle. And it's not that you're settling, but you're becoming more settled in yourself. I was chatting with somebody a little earlier today, going back and forth, thinking of, you know, I'm trying to get some of these uh, Gen X in-person things for 2024 and, and a couple of really cool ideas have come up. So we were going back and forth and- I wrote this in my email because this person was feeling it too, but then I took it out, but I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I was going back and forth with her and I realized I have become so soft, but mm. not in a soft way. Like it's a really interesting, maybe soft isn't the right word, but maybe it's more like I, my ideas, I, I just hold more space inside me. I don't have to be right. I don't have to like prove anything. It's just this. Yeah, I guess maybe it's just more spaciousness inside me. So I can hold contradictory ideas or I don't have to run as quick towards something or I don't know. I don't know what's happening to me, but I'm I'm letting it. I'm allowing it. Mm. Well, that's the softening. Mm. So I think that soft has gotten a bad rap. The world asks us to toughen up, mm. to have that kind of chest plate on at all times. Mm. And we build it up over you know, our entire lives. And then midlife, it's like the melting of the metal. It, like we do soften and, you know, our bodies are softening, but we are also the softening makes the space. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Yeah. Because it's almost like hard and contracted. There is no space. We're just like, you know, black, heavy piece of metal square or something. Yeah. It's almost like there's like an iceberg in me that like built up over time so that I wouldn't be hurt by things like this, you know, and, and, and it's true. And I think, I mean, I know everybody has these experiences being catcalled or like being, I don't know, being objectified, you know, would you say? Dismissed. Yeah. Looked at with a a magnifying glass physically, but also being looked at with magnifying glass for your mental achievements Mm. and dismissed or criticized. Mm, Yeah. And I think I've gotten to a point where I was so in the fight, like I loved, (laughs) we had talked about this before you and I, but like, I think I was stuck in this idea of loving the fight and not allowing. I was just, I was out today and I had this idea, like the difference between deserve and allow. Do I deserve help or do I allow help? And to me, there's such a difference in the energy. And I thought, no, I don't, I'm allowing help. I'm allowing these things. I'm allowing softness, but don't mistake it for me being like, not being firm in my beliefs and convictions, because that is not what this is. No, we are in, we're training to be mean old ladies (laughs) in the best kind of way. The woman who says, oh, I don't do that anymore. Oh, honey, that's really nice, but no, but we have to practice and we have to soften and allow help so that we can learn how to do all that stuff. Cause, because when we're young, it's like terrifying to set up boundaries. At least it was for me. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I didn't think I was allowed, right? Yeah. Allow. And yeah. I didn't, so I didn't allow myself. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe this is a whole season of allowing. Receiving. Receiving. Yeah. Allowing. That's- And then what happens, at least what's happening with me, and it's just kind of mind blowing because I think a lot of people are, they think, oh, I'm like, you know, I'm in my thirties. I'm so generous. I'm always so giving and they are, but they aren't filling their own tank. Mm -hmm. And I've been spending, I kind of, you know, got really, I would say selfish. And I'm happy to say that I got selfish by, you know, really diving into my own healing process. So when I am giving, it is from my whole heart and my whole body. It is such a different experience than it was mm-hmm. when I was younger. Cause I always felt like I had to, or it made me look mm-hmm. good or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. No, I absolutely do. I absolutely understand that. You know, looking back, I can see now where I am versus back then. And I, I think for me, it was just this constantly trying to prove, 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 prove I'm a good person, prove I'm this, prove I'm smart, prove this. And I don't know that anybody was asking for it. I mean, somewhere along the line, uh, the way I got those messages. So maybe somebody was asking for it either explicitly or implicitly, right? Society. But now I've caught myself where I've had this thought of trying to prove. And then I'm like, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. You've already shown, you've already demonstrated. And who's the person you're trying to prove it to is yourself. Look Look at what you've done. You've demonstrated it to yourself that you are that person that you wanted to be. Yeah. And I wonder, because there's this talk I've been hearing a lot about people, people should prepare us for midlife, but I just wonder if it's part of the evolution. I mean, I just wonder if we have to feel like we have to prove ourselves. We have to build our ego up in order to break it down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And I just always, but we all, all, every single woman I've talked to over 40, over 50, over 60, even like, I wish I would have 
if I would have had the person I am inside, inside that younger body. So I could still do some stuff that, you know, especially women are like in the sixties and seventies or yeah. it would have been really cool if I would have known this in my twenties and thirties. And I think a lot of people, including myself thought and think that they know it in their twenties and thirties. Oh yeah. And it's yeah. not that you don't know things and, but there is, there's a shift that happens. It is a shift. And I think, you know, just even these subtle things from like being hard and steely to softening, like soft, like yielding to, to understanding what is mine to carry and what is not mine to carry. Or even if I understood it, being okay with not carrying it, right? Like not trying to, again, prove I was in such a proving place, but I'm telling you, you could not have told me when I was 30, anything. <laughs> no, <laughs> no I wouldn't okay. have listened. I, or I would have been like, oh, that's good for them. Not for me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was going to say you have a couple of years ago, you went through this process of speaking to a bunch of different women who were in midlife or who were in transitions. How many total? It was a lot. Well, it turned it, I broadened it. I wish I hadn't, um, but you know, I could do another project. It was a hundred women wow. um, about transitions in their lives. And so it wasn't all the midlife transition. I, I wish I would have kept the focus a little bit more on that because that's what I really wanted to know. Mm -hmm. because I was going through it, right? It was in 2015, 16, 17, somewhere around there. So it was a while ago. But the honesty of women's stories, that's kind of where that kind of shifted me towards really being a person who I always had valued women's stories. I, I felt like we were given short shrift, like in school or shift. I don't know how you say the word, but in school, you know, where's the books about women's lives? I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And so I started reading books by women and then having friends who told me their stories, but it's different when you ask people very specific questions about their lives and just let them talk. And I had one question that pretty much took the whole time that we had. And then I had another one that, you know, stopped them in their tracks. So I asked, you know, tell me about a transition or transitional time in your life, deaths, deaths of parents, deaths of children, big stuff, big stuff. And, and one woman said, thank you for talking to me. No one ever listens. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. And to realize that listening, just the act of us, just like you're doing now. And just like, I think these conversations that people have are so important that this practice of listening, I just, I just sat and listened mm. and typed. I was actually typing out their answers. I didn't, I was before I was technologically really. <laughs> savvy. And so I didn't record it. And I just typed up what I wanted. And I thought it was going to be a book. But really, it was, it was for me, it was really for me to get started and realize what my next step was. You know, what I love about this is it was a gift to both of you. This just an interaction. It was just a gift of witnessing and receiving. And it was yeah. powerful. Yeah. And that's the softening part, right? This, this re receptive allowing, allowing their stories to come into me to affect me. Mm. There were so many different stories that women shared and everyone is different and everyone's the same, you know, mm -hmm. um, but it was kind of cool because I opened it up to a wider group. And so I ended up talking to women in their seventies and eighties too. And I thought that was more, there was a lot of wisdom there. There was mm. a lot to learn. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I can, I can imagine what, what did you learn? Were there any threads, any commonalities, you know, after all of these transitions, evolutions, what people were going through? It's so interesting. That's an interesting question because it's almost like it's still percolating. 
I learned the value of listening and asking questions that are open-ended, you know, and not just, so what do you do for a living? You know, (laughs) small talk. (laughs) Like we went right to the deep and that's, uh, I realized that's what I'm about. Forget the rest of that. But I learned that it's almost like you really can't know it until you experience it a few times is that every person has a story that is worth telling. Mm. Every person has pain. We're all walking around wounded and we can heal. But when I ask people like, what do you, what practices or what things do you do for self-care to kind of take care of yourself? And they just were like, um, there weren't a lot Mm. that had like, I don't know. I don't really do that much. I just kind of like muscled through it. Oof, my divorce or my, you know, whatever the story was. Yeah. And then there were others, you know, that, that are, you know, had a lot of practices. And so it'd be interesting to check in with them years later and, and just see like what has changed. And then I asked them, what are your hopes for hopes for women? And that, that was one of those questions where they just went, <gasps> and this was in 2015, right? Right on the cusp of 2016. And we know, uh, oh, right, 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 right. I and, remember those years. Yeah. And, <laughs> But it, it was a great question just to know that, oh, we all kind of share this. It's more, you know, the commonality there is that most women are, I hope that we get to the place where we accept ourselves mm. and that we like respect ourselves and we are seen equally or we're seen not even, it's almost like equally, yes, equity not equal because it's it's like to see in, in all of our multiplicity to be seen in all our beauty and accepted for that yeah instead of criticized for it yeah and i know a lot of that work was inside me like not criticizing others not criticizing where they're at like allowing them to be different than me allowing like this like wherever their beauty was that was not mine allowing that to shine, not projecting all of my own insecurities. Like I'm not like that. How can I not be like that? Something must be wrong with me. Like, yeah. Allowing people to just be their complicated selves and that I'm, you know, actually I'm going to, no, I'm going to, I'm going to give myself some credit because that that's been a process. And I've, I've actually really enjoyed, I've enjoyed like people have relationships have ended in my mm-hmm. life. And I'm like, I really do wish them well on wherever it is that they're going next. You know, I don't feel this bitterness. I feel like, yeah, man, you do you, (laughs) you know? Well, yeah, that's, I think that's all part of the boundary work or the, you know, the work of healing is for years, I held on to certain friendships because I thought I had to. Yeah. And it was like, there was, it was like a loyalty duty thing. And Mm -hmm. I would be a bad person if I wasn't their friend anymore. Right. I'd be bad. Right. And that's not the way it is. It's letting people go to free them as much as to free ourselves. Yeah. Because yeah. Sometimes actually we see, we watch, you know, not always, sometimes they just stay in the mud and there they are. Yeah. And you're over here and you're fine, you know, but right. sometimes I have found sometimes you need to cut ties, even if you don't want to, to grow yourself and the other person. It's like, yeah, oh, absolutely. They might've needed me to cut them out of my life. Yeah. Maybe I was holding them down somehow. Yeah. Oh, oh, wow. I just got chills because I'm like, oh, whoa, I could be the one holding people back. <laughs> I and realized there's something, that. Oh, wow. Oh, 
That's good. That's actually really good. That's amazing insight. Because when we've had long relationships, especially Mm -hmm. we have this history, it's hard to see the person like you would a new friend. Mm. You have this baggage. Mm -hmm. And so your vision of them, that projecting Mm -hmm. might be holding them into this, this identity that they don't, that they have outgrown. One of the things that I've noticed about myself is that when I've softened towards others, I don't even know like which one came first. Like it's, I don't know if it's chicken or egg thing, but in this allowing people to be themselves, it's also allowed me to be myself. It's given me permission because when I'm less judgmental of others, I'm also less judgmental of myself and vice versa. When I'm less judgmental of myself, I'm way less judgmental of other people as well. So it's like a cyclical thing in my experience. I don't know when it was, but sometime in my forties, I realized that I had grown up with what felt like judgment and criticism from school, from family, from, you know, like these expectations that were really heavy. And so when I would run into someone who did allow me to be who I was, who was soft in that way, who was so welcoming and open and loving, Mm -hmm. I gravitated toward them and I've kind of collected them over time. Mm. And I'm, you know, to me, that's the people who are very aware of their own limitations, but also very loving and soft and spacious toward me. It was almost like, yes, I, we always think, oh, this thing happened. Well, I, it happened because I surrounded myself with other people who taught me how to do it. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I absolutely love that. And I think it's when, you know, for me, I had to understand that I was in certain patterns of behavior. I was like attracting people because somehow I wanted to change them. I wanted to change them. Mm -hmm. No, stop. And that's so rude to them. It is. It's so rude to them. Allow them to be who they are. Yeah. And so when I lost that judgment, right, or I'm still working on it, what it we're all works in progress. And I'm not going to pretend I'm some type of like magical, like angel. I'm not, I I'm a mess. I'm no, I'm not going to say I'm a mess. Uh, I'm human. That's yeah. what I'll say. I'm human. I mess up. But when I drop that judgment, it really does allow somebody's magic and beauty to shine through. Right. Yeah, and we're all problematic. We're all a mess. Like all of us are capable. I read something recently, like all of us are capable of, of causing harm. And it's like, yeah, Mm -hmm. intentionally, unintentionally, like, and part of it is on each of us to understand that the other person may not intentionally be causing us harm. Like it wasn't intentional on their part. So a lot of forgiveness stuff too, which is really interesting. Part of midlife for sure. Yeah. yeah. Is is going, oh, right. And and like you said, I think if we have this identity as a good person or a nice person, we cannot see ourselves as harming others. Oh, I would never do that, which also is mean. It's a mean thing to do to other people. Well, I'm not the problem. Mm. I'm a nice person. Mm-hmm. I would never. And it's like, no, we can all be awful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we can. <laughs> we all I know have I am. Ask my husband. <laughs> <laughs> he knows all the sides. Mm. <laughs> Mine too. So thinking about these evolutions that we all go through, these points of transformation, transition, and also just thinking about how the impact of just that witnessing somebody's story, listening, 
listening, you know, to somebody's story and holding space for that. That's actually really such a beautiful thing when we hold space for each other's stories. Thinking of that, what in your experience, as somebody who helps others tell their stories or at least hold space for that, what do you think holds us back from from writing or sharing our stories? It is that what we've been talking about, the the hardening that can happen. And and so I was actually just pulling a quote from this book that I've been reading called If You Want to Write by Brenda Euland. And it was written in the 30s. And she's a kick. And um, she does refer to many male authors and artists because there weren't very many women for her to right. reference. But she talked about hating traditional criticism, especially the quote unquote constructive criticism. Oh boy. So that's the most hurtful of all because we're acting like we're a nice person, but we're actually breaking someone's spirit. And so most of us in school, particularly, we are trained to stay within a certain line, within a certain box. And so creative thinking, true storytelling isn't invited and then in families, oftentimes the dysfunction is we don't actually tell the truth here. Mm-hmm. We keep secrets, right? And so it's terrifying at first. It was for me to start being really honest and, and saying, oh, you mean I can say that? You know, I can say I, I have really rageful thoughts. You mean I could admit that? And yeah. no one, you know, people aren't going to kick me out. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. And people are thought, oh, I'm not a quote unquote good writer. There's all this because of grades. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot. I'm I'm not not really a writer. writer. Yeah. Like, but we're writing right now to each other. (laughs) This is the, this is the act in which we're engaging in every, you know, we are. Well, think about social media posts. I mean, people are writing all the time. What about what you wrote there? Or you write a blog, you write a newsletter. Like, yeah, but that's not real writing. I said, uh, you just told a story there. Right. It actually is writing. I think part of it too is just English is such a, in the way in which we're taught it, just the language itself. It's so gatekeeping, right? Like you have to have, you have to know where commas exactly go and like, you know, semicolons and like the language itself is very like dominating and brutal at times, like just the nature of the language itself. And I often think that because that is the language in which we're communicating, at least here in the U.S., mostly, mainly, I do think that, that, yeah, we get slammed a lot when we're growing up yeah, by the language itself right. or like people who are gatekeeping the language, right? Right. People are gatekeeping. And, and so if you have the language of your region or your neighborhood or your family, it's actually very rich and interesting language that more people need to hear. And so for me, it's like you're talking to your aunt Betty or something, you know, like don't censor your original language. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. I also think one of the things maybe that's holding a lot of us back from, from writing our stories is just, we don't think anybody's going to listen. We don't think anybody's going to read. Well, like the lady said, thanks. You know, no one ever listens. I, I think it's that. Um, because we are we are raised in this culture of oh if I can't make money for it or if I can't get it out and have a certain amount of people read it like the social media thing then it's not worth anything 
Yeah. The act of getting the story out of your body Mm. because it gets lodged there is transformational. And I'm going to use that word because I can't think of a better one right now. And I just talked to a woman today said, you know, I had this whole plan that I was going to get all this stuff out because we worked one-on-one like last year. And she said that didn't happen, but I'm finding myself less and less interested in needing to write it like I was because I just needed to get it out. Yeah. And she said, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. This is something that I say, and, and I'm, you know, working on something that this is where I'm coming from, but it's the most important memoir a woman can write is the one she writes to herself. Mm. We can get it out, but then if we can share it with other women in a way, and I say women, because I work with women, midlife women, mostly, and, and, and slightly older than midlife, we can move that out. And I think another reason people don't share is, is shame. Tell me, what do you mean? Shame. What do you mean? Well, maybe shame about that original language, right? You know, it's like, oh, I'm not really a writer. I'm not good. Like, oh, that person just read and they're so much better than I am, whatever that means. But also some of the stories have hold on us, the the things that were maybe done to us or things that choices that we made and we want to write about them, but sharing that feels so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And it might take someone years of being in a writing circle with me to finally start writing about some of the really deep stuff, including myself, you know, I want to feel safe in that environment. So I think all of those things being scrutinized keeps us from telling our story. Well, and we're living in an era of high, 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 high scrutinizing times, right? Social media has, (laughs) yeah, you can't, I mean, it's not just celebrities who are scrutinized anymore. It is your average person who is scrutinized by the public to have an, if they have an idea and they share it on social media, you know, it's scrutinized. So I feel really attacked actually. Yes. 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 You're right. Right. Uh Yeah. People come swarming. Yeah. If you actually make a statement, (laughs) you, you kind of putting your flag down about something people say, well, you should expect that. And I said, actually, I think there is a place for really deep conversations. And I think those are important, but the way it happens online, it's pretty toxic. Yeah, definitely. I don't think we should expect any of this. I mean, yes, in my ideal world, my utopian society, we would be able to hold hands and like share our stories and hold space and all that stuff. But I don't think we need to just accept the level of toxicity by these massive corporations who are, you know, there's bots out there that they should be monitoring. Like they can do things to make it a hell of a lot better for us. And so I, I, I reject, I refuse (laughs) the idea that uh, this is just what you get with the territory. Well, it's that idea of we've got to toughen up, right? Yes. Well, you've, yes. You're not allowed to be soft because you have to deal with the social media and you, and you have to, if you, you should expect to be attacked. No, actually. No. Like you're the asshole. You do realize you're the asshole. I'm fine. And you telling me I need to toughen up and take it because you come into a comment section. No, you're the asshole, man. <laughs> like, right. And there's no, they're not risking anything. That's the thing. When you are in a group, like if you sign up for therapy group or a writing circle or anything like that, where you're sitting and you're sharing stories in whatever way, whether they're written or spoken, you don't expect to be attacked, right? And so why would you expect to be attacked 
just being out in the world. It's just, Oh my gosh. Yes. Why would I expect to be attacked just being out in the world? I mean, as women, unfortunately, we are always kind of looking over our shoulders. And I, that is something that I think, you know, it is my hope, one of my hopes for women to be safe yeah. from all those things. Yeah. And especially anybody who holds multiple identities, right? Like if you're a trans or if you're a woman of color, um, if you're disabled, I mean, all of these different intersections just make it even worse. I think these companies, they they need to step up. They need to step up. And I'm tired of everything being on us. It's very much that kind of wild west, like, oh, I showed up. So I I don't even know, but there needs to be some type of guidelines or or something structures in place, because a lot of this stuff is, you know, you go through a comment section on a social media platform, it's disgusting. And then you click on a person and you're like, oh, zero posts, you know, 12 people following. These are all bots, man. And they're driving the conversation. Well, also, I think the social media is so immediate. You know, it used to be someone would write a book on a typewriter and they would bring it to the publisher, walking up some creaky stairs to bring the manuscript, right? And then it would be printed on the printing press. And then who knows how long it would take to get published. And then maybe there might be a review in the newspaper that you could choose to read or not to read. And the only criticism you were dealing with was probably your family. Yeah. Yeah. Your husband or something back back in the day, if you had one of those and you were a writer and a woman, which would be odd, but you know, it's so immediate now. It's, it, it makes no sense to our nervous systems. Makes no sense to our nervous systems. Yes. Yes. And I think the idea itself, we, you know, we're seeing ideas happen in real time. They're not gestating. They're not being complicated by life. They're very like the things that do well online. You're like, this is my certainty. This is it, you know? And so a lot, most of life happens in the gray area, right? It happens in the middle somewhere, like in the muck, right? And like you said, when we're doing this work of allowing and softening, we can even have conversations with someone that we thought we couldn't have a conversation with because of their quote unquote bad beliefs. If we can sit down at the table and just talk like human beings, you can find humanity in everyone. I mean, there might be someone who has like serial killer thing, but you know, that's different, but I'm, I'm, you know, we're an outlier. (laughs) Yeah. Like, let's go get uh, back from the beyond, but just, you know, even some more different political views, uh, religious views, you know, all the things that cause all these issues. Right. I just think we don't have to be best friends. Like you said, we can say you be you and all that, but we can have compassion for their human struggle, just like we can for ourselves. Yeah compassion for ourselves. I think that is a real key. When we can have compassion for ourselves, we can have compassion for others, right? Right. One of the first things I started to do with like my yoga training and writing and meditation and all of that is when you start to actually listen to what is going on in your brain and how mean it is mm-hmm. that the compassion mm-hmm. is not there at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have become more compassionate toward myself, but it took oh, like so many years of work. I mean, it's not instantaneous. It's not instantaneous, you know? It's not. And I don't think we're ever fully finished and we have to be okay with that. You know, I was talking to uh, one of our other contributors, Alyssa Zander, and 
talking about how healing isn't something we win. Oh my gosh. No, because at any moment I could be talking all this, all this talk, right. But I might have a challenge, you know, I have of parents who are older and they have health issues. And when things happen, I can sort of fall apart, you know, and, and even with all the practices, all the high minded things, yep. you know, yep. I I'm still like a child and that can happen. I think the difference is now I have compassion for that person. Whereas I didn't before mm. I can watch her and go, Oh, you're spinning out. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, she's yeah. dealing with a lot. Of course, you know, she's dealing with a lot. I want to, I want to loop back to something that you said, because, you know, I want to save a little room for this very important thing. And that's, um, you talked about your writing circles. You mentioned those. Can you tell me a little more about them? Yes. I've been doing writing circles, leading them for about 10 to 12 years. I haven't, you know, I'm not great at math. I'm a word person. So (laughs) 12 years. And it's part of that evolution of me wanting to hear women's stories, but I kind of have different methods that I use within one session. So we meet for eight weeks at a time for two hour blocks, two hours a week for eight weeks. And we do something that's kind of like free writing journaling. We also do prompted writing, you know, I give a prompt and it's generally a poem. And the idea is we just write what needs to be written. There's no, wait, hold on. Write what needs to be written. That's so good. Yes. That's my, so I'm going to give my mentor credit for that. She's Jan Hag said that. And I just, and I told her, I go, I'm using that. She said, great. And I've been using it because it really, it resonates, right? Write what needs to be written today. And even if people, sometimes they're working on, they've decided I'm going to come very weeks and work on this novel or this nonfiction book, but there might be a session. There might be a time where they write what needs to be written because it's coming up. They're like, I didn't write for the book today. Great. Read what you have, you know? So it's the second, right? We do the Amherst writers and artists method of responding with what we liked, what stayed with us, what was strong about the piece. We treat everything as fiction. So I think that is the part of this method for me that sold me because when we treat every piece of writing as fiction because even memoir is part fiction mm. because we're kind of using our imagination to fill in the spaces, mm. right? That fear of, oh gosh, I'm going to share my story. That's so scary. We give them space. There's, there's, there's the writer over here and the writing is far away. It's, it's, it's the thing that we're responding to. Mm-hmm. And then we do a write where we just say, thank you. We let people read and we say, thank you. And the idea is just kind of like, I always think, I don't know baggy sweatpants writing, you know, uh, messy hair writing. It doesn't matter. Braless, you know, (laughs) like think, write like you have a cold and you're in your pajamas with your hair messed up and no makeup and no bra. And, and that's what we want. We want the writing to be that real. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. This came up. This is so wild. So this actually came up in one of the conversations that we had where I think, I think it was recorded might've been after or before I hit record on the conversation, but just the fact that I typically work in my bed, Mm. I work on my couch and that is where my best work comes from. Right. Because that's where I feel most me. I show up most me. Exactly. Show up most you, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. And we do a little movement in my writing circles. I forgot to mention that. And to me, embodying, you know, kind of just taking a few minutes to breathe, to move. I've been told many times because I added that and the response has been really positive. Like, oh, that just got me out of that critical mind and I can kind of, you know, go into the writing. So I do that. I'm always creating new things because that's what I am. I create things. (laughs) But the circles right now are really calling to me and really feeling more and more important and growing. You know, I'm getting more people who are interested in, in doing it. And so we're starting another round. We start in January and then I'll, you know, I, we have a little time and then we do a spring and then we do a, a one in the fall and summer is a little more loose. Yeah. Most, uh, yeah. Summer is a weird time of year, right? Yeah. That's uh, summer. I feel is like a letting go part of the year. Like where we're not like working on things. We're just, I don't know, just yeah. kind of coasting along something I want to say too, you know, you incorporated movement and you said earlier, you know, moving the stories out of our body. So if you have a story in you, if you're listening and you have a story in your body that you need to move out, Holly is really masterful at holding the space, at doing the embodiment work, even small things. I've, I've worked with you. I've worked with Holly. It really, I think, was one of the biggest catalysts for me. You know, we have all these stories stored up in our body and until I let mine go, a lot of them, I I couldn't make way for new versions of myself or new evolutions or, you know, I I didn't have that. I didn't have that capacity inside me. I didn't have that spaciousness inside me until I really moved those stories out. Hmm. It's good therapy, Holly. It's empowering. Writing can be healing, but it's not therapy. So I just, you know, but yes. Yes, yes, yes. But I know what you mean. You know, I know what you mean. Yeah, totally. Totally. If people, I know you're on Instagram. I know you have a site. So can you tell us uh, how to follow you? Holly Holt writes on Instagram, Facebook. I'm not on the other one. I think even maybe LinkedIn is Holly Holt writes too. I think I tried to make it pretty similar and there are links to sign up for my newsletter and my website, hollyholt.com will be unveiled very soon. And maybe by the time this podcast comes out, it will already be published. So I had it for many, many years. I, it's gone through many evolutions just like I have. So I took it down for a while so that I really could think about what I wanted to do and to say with it. So yeah, you can find me in any of those places and uh, I'll put my email out it's because People can just email me directly, holly at hollyholt.com. If you have questions, I'm really open to, to having conversations. Yeah. yeah, that's that's where the good stuff is, right? Yeah. All right. Anything else before I let you go? Anything you want people to know? That if you're hesitating, if you feel like your story isn't important, no, that no one listens, there are places where people do listen and your story is not just important, it's essential. Mm. Thank you so much, Holly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for having this conversation with me. Mm, Thanks for inviting me. It was rich. Many, many, many thanks to Holly. You can find her at hollyholt.com and on Instagram at hollyholtwrites. Of course, you can find her stories and essays on Jennifer Magazine. It's digital, so you can read it wherever you go. jennifermag.com backslash newsstand. 
Better yet, join our magazine's membership Gen X and get all issues delivered straight to your inbox along with other goodies you'll love. As for us, you can find us on Instagram at Jennifer underscore magazine. Sign up for our emails, et cetera, et cetera. You know the drill. If you like this podcast, subscribe, rate it, leave a lovely review. This podcast is edited by the brilliant Carrie M. Music is by Abstract Fashion Pop by Cube Sounds from Pixabay. That's a mouthful. Additional support is provided by Ellie Cooper. And finally, I want to thank you. Thank you for listening to these conversations. It's not a small thing. It's everything. All right. Until next time. Thank you.